Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about Bernie built the New York City riots, the Democrats' Bernie panic in Iowa and more, Bernie's scary communism, and the State of the Union's sweet spot, working families. And I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again, and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis, and welcome to today's First Five. The first five topic I send to my happy, wonderful producer, Matt, uh, was called Bernie Built New York City Riots. We are going to talk about that, but I want to start the show before I even get to that topic to mention just as I was driving here, someone let me know about Rush Limbaugh having made an announcement that he is battling late stage or um, advanced lung cancer, late stage lung cancer. So Rush Limbaugh, big announcement today that he's battling advanced lung cancer. And all I want to say about that is this. I urge everyone, I assume my listeners are prayers, I urge everyone to pray for his health, pray for his recovery. Um, he is going to be still doing his show, and now he may be missing some, but he's going to be doing his show. And you know, I just want to say about Rush Limbaugh and the world of conservatism in America. America's conservative um, energy and passion has been largely reignited by Rush Limbaugh, uh, decades on air, and what is so wonderful about him is his ability to take complex things that for most Americans, they just don't pay attention to, or they don't really think they understand, or they assume these decisions and policies have to be left to the uh, wizards in Wall Street or the wizards in Washington, and they can't understand them. He takes very com has for decades taken very complex ideas and made them understandable to the common Joe, and therefore made the common American think like they do have a place in the American political conversation. They do call into his show and say, hey, you know, I never knew about this before. I never understood this before, but thank you so much for explaining it. So uh, just prayers for his uh, complete recovery. Rush Limbaugh, just, a, just an American legend in talk radio and really uh, largely responsible for the growth, not just in the understanding of conservatism in this country, but the ability to engage in the conversation on a national level was really reignited by his talk show. But I want to turn to my real first five today, what I had planned ahead of that news, about burning, Bernie building the New York City riots. If you didn't know, in the subway system in New York City, over uh, last Friday was January 31st, and they, the people who orchestrated it called the J31 riots for January 31st. I had a clip of the one of the organizers who put out in a tweet, you know, bravely hiding behind with masked faces, the speaker and two others, urging people to join J31, to be part of the riots. There were riots at the New York City subway stations and train stations. I am not talking about peacefully standing there holding up signs, making a demand. I'm talking about uh, disruptive, loud riots, destruction of property, pouring glue onto the turnstile, um, the little thing that reads your card. So you, if you purchased a card ahead of time, you can get into the uh, subway stations. And so this was a massive, disruptive, uh, windows broken, property damaged, loud taunting, 
And the reason I didn't want to play the tweet that these extreme, these cowards did is because it's so laden with the F word that it just distracts from what I'm my, the points I want to make about it. But let me just tell you why they're doing this. When you hear the level of anger in their tweets, in their statements, you would think they were protesting, you know, segregation in America or protesting slavery. They are on the march in New York City with this J31 rally to demand no one should have to pay to ride on the New York City subway. It has to be free. Trans transportation, in their view, as they said, transportation should be free. They have a right to free transportation. They want no more metropolitan police officers in the subway system. No more police officers who are down there making sure that people don't jump the turnstiles or engage in violence or engage in crime. They're saying no free transportation for everyone, no more police officers, no metropolitan officers down there. And they're accusing the Metropolitan Transportation Authority of singling out people because of their skin color and giving them, arresting them or giving them the fines they get for jumping the turnstiles or failing to pay for their ride. So this is it. And I want to just read you some of the quotes from some of the protesters. 80 to 100. Pro so they started out uh, at the Grand Central Terminal. Everyone, many people have been there. A huge, huge station. Grand Central started out. Their chant was F only they said the word, F the police, chanted at Grand Central, uh, then then how do you spell racist, NYPD, then they went from Grand Central Station down to the 42nd, headed down 42nd Street toward the Bryant Park uh, subway stop. Uh, they, some of them stormed that even though the police were trying to stop them, then on to the 6th Avenue and West 42nd Street uh, uh, subway station. Uh, so here are some of the quotes. We're for the right to free transit, said Esther Sanchez, 23, of Brooklyn. The cops are in the subway. There's, this is her new expression. The cops are in the subway to criminalize poverty. They're saying, if you get arrested because you jump the turnstile, won't pay the $2.75 it costs to ride the subway, that you must be poor, and therefore, you're, if you're arrested for not paying your fee, that cops are criminalizing poverty. They target black and brown bodies. Another protester, transit is a right. The protester, Ian Evans, 22, we need to get to work. That's his reason why transportation has to be free, because he needs to get to work. We need to be able to get to school. So they had all these riots, protests, uh, property damage, very foul-mouthed language um, sprayed onto the, you know, spray-painted onto the walls of the subways, F the police. Their big slogan uh, for that day was FTP, which is F the police, plus they, they say it also stands for free the people. But the larger point I want to make it tied into Bernie Sanders' campaign. The organizers behind this, first of all, you got to know there's Soros money somewhere behind this, but the organizers behind this are pushing the argument that and pushing the mission that protests like this, they are designed to, their, their goal is to become ungovernable. That's what they say. If you like this story I'm, I'm talking about, you want to read about it, you can go to our website, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage, under list of links, you can look up the story. This is their language. You must become ungovernable. They talk about, they actually maps up, they, this was a huge organized protest, maps up 
showing the describing New York City as an area of occupation, showing they, they're referring to the government of our country uh, as the area of occupation and where they are engaging in this violence and, and obviously interfering with hardworking, taxpaying, law-abiding Americans who need to ride the subway to go to work or to school and can't get on because they are blocked by the protesters. But the protesters call their actions, they describe on a map they put out on Twitter, the theater of operations, where they're going, the places they want to disrupt. It is their theater of operations. They have a, I mean, it is an 11 page single space typed out memo describing all their missions and essentially is to undermine capitalism. In fact, there's a tweet they had out. I sent to Matt, the wonderful producer. We can show you this, this tweet. It was a picture taken of one of the protests at the New York City subway. Kill capitalism, kill capitalism. As I say, every other little, uh, video I looked at to possibly play for you is so laden with F-bombs that it just is not appropriate uh, for this show that we actually, where we actually intelligently discuss the ideas. So New York City protesters, and they literally are pushing the idea, they're living under occupation, capitalism is evil, it must be ended, they have the right, the right to be given free transportation. I'm mean, just take one moment, the, the argument or the point made years ago in the slogan, there is no such thing as a free lunch. When they say they, they want free transportation, they're saying that the cost of building the subway, keeping the subway clean, keeping it policed, operating safely, doing maintenance on the subways and, and everything that must be done on the turnstiles, all of that costs money, but they're entitled to use all of it for free. So they're saying that the hardworking, law-abiding taxpayers must continue to fund this transportation system so they have the right to have it be free to them. And I'm, this is, I'm going to close out my first five by saying this kind of thinking comes directly, not just exclusively from Bernie Sanders, but from the kind of campaign he is running, by the kind of political ideas he's infesting America with, by the ideas he is selling to young, ignorant Americans to think they have a right a right to everything they want for free, and if they don't, they have the right to engage in violence. A lot of viol this lot violence and the uh, protests in New York where, you know, F the police and, and shut down the police, and they shouldn't be even without being the subway. You might want to, I mean, they also t talk about the right of people to sleep in the subways. They're, they are protesting the uh, Metropolitan Transportation Authority for, you know, rousing people who are just making the subways their home saying, you know what, these are, a subway is, is designed here to be a transportation system for people to use in our city. I get around, and I really am closing out the first five at this point to say this. This thinking did not come out of thin air. It came out of the minds and the thinking and the speaking of years and years of indoctrination of young Americans into the notion that capitalism is evil, freedom is bad, free markets are bad, the police are evil, all of those arguments coming from the American left, and they really are culminating in the campaign this time in 2020 for of Bernie Sanders to become president of this country, and that is what we'll turn to talk about next. So we have, my friends, and we have the Iowa caucuses starting tonight. And by the way, if you don't know how these uh, Iowa caucuses work, it is just truly, it's, it's almost entertainment. It's, it's a, you know, I, I will tell you here in t the gray state of Texas where I live, I've been an election judge, I've been a poll watcher, I know all the rules. You cannot even enter 
on primary voting day or in the general election, you can't walk in with a t-shirt on or a hat or anything with a political message. You can't walk in to the polling area where everyone goes to vote with a t-shirt with a that says, you know, Trump 2020 or, you know, uh, you know, keep America great. You can't do that. You cannot inside the polling area. You can't engage in politics. In Iowa, it's a whole different thing in the Iowa caucuses. So basically tonight in Iowa, starting at 7 p.m. Iowa time, which is central time, People gather in their uh, precincts and they have caucuses. So people gather and they talk. I mean, there's an open engagement in the, in the political bantering. Yeah, I'm for uh, Klobuchar. No, I'm for Sanders. I'm for Biden. They talk about it. Then they get people divided up in groups by signs. So someone who likes Bernie Sanders will be standing by a Bernie Sanders sign. And he's got his little crowd around him. All the other candidates in the Democrat presidential primary have their candidates, their, their sign and their supporters around their uh, their candidate's name and then whoever has I think it's 15 percent if you don't make at least 15 percent of the people in the room then you're out and then the other people who are supporting whatever candidate they had will try to capture pluck away the supporters of the candidate who didn't get the 15 percent cut so Iowa caucus is very bizarre goes late night we'll find out tomorrow what happens in the Iowa caucuses but I will say this in five of the last presidential races in this country, the person that won the Iowa caucus on the Democrat side won the presidency, or excuse me, won the nomination, won the nomination. So you might think Iowa is a little obscure, relatively small state, but the consequence, and it is in part a test of where the people really are outside of polling, you know, where they're really thinking, but it's also really, it has amazing power within the media if they want, if they like the candidate who won in the Iowa caucus to say, well, yeah, obviously, you know, so-and-so is our clear winner. Look at this, so, you know, this person won. Well, there is panic in the Democrat Party, nothing short of pure panic about the idea that Bernie Sanders appears to be headed for easily winning the, uh, the uh, Iowa caucus. And I, I got to tell you, folks, I, I find it, I mean, it is, it is amazing in this era in 2020 when our entire country has been watching the tremendous poverty of Venezuela, the, the militant communism of uh, Cuba, and how you just, and, and just, I mean, the suffering in China under communism, that a Democrat socialist in this country could get even close to the Democrat nomination for president. This is why the DNC is in such a panic. So I want to just share a few things about what the DNC is doing about this. They're not taking this, uh, this uh, campaign sitting down. They are putting money in and they're putting uh, all sorts of twists in the uh, Democrat primary to get to the point of trying to force Bernie Sanders out. We're going to talk in the next segment about how really communist Bernie Sanders is, but right now I just want to talk about what's happening in Iowa within the Democrat Party. Number one, they have two mega billionaires running in this primary, one being Bloomberg, my former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg, and the other being Tom Steyer, who is this you know, guy who made his billions being a developing, uh, using using coal, using natural gas, uh, using, you know, the fossil fuels that are, he now so despises. He made his money on that. He could just send it in if he so, feels so guilty, but instead he's running on some radical leftist environmental thing. But understand how much money these people have spent. Former New York City Mayor Bloomberg and Businessman Steyer, 
in the last quarter of 2019, just the last quarter, three months, four, you know, one fourth of 2019, spent a combined $340 million. $340 million, you know, more than any of the other campaigns have in total on the Democrat side. They spent that, and so they are, and they're out there basically. They're also another factoid. The billionaire candidates competing in this thing also gave their own campaign so they can contribute to their own campaigns. The federal campaign finance limitations do not apply to people donating to their own campaigns. They've combined to, they have donated to their own campaigns, just Steyer and Bloomberg, $355 million. So they have spent $340 million on ads. They have donated to themselves $355 million. And they are just on a quest. And it's becoming clearer and clearer what their quest is. Steyer, I don't think, really thinks he could win the nomination. I think he knows he couldn't win the nomination. So he's not really thinking, I'm going to keep on putting money in, and man, I'll, I'll probably win. He is trying to take the wind out of Bernie Sanders' sails, he and Bloomberg. But I want to tell you an interesting theory that was floated uh, by um, Steve Bannon, who's a, um, he was, was briefly with the Trump campaign, he's a, he's a Trump advisor, or maybe on the edges of a Trump advisor, but he was interviewed over the weekend. And what his thought is, and I think this is really interesting, and I actually think it's very, very likely to be accurate. His thought is that Michael Bloomberg has absolutely no reason to think he could win, does not think he could win the Democrat nomination for president. But he's pouring, now he's a billionaire times, men, times many, he's pouring in money because he wants to come to be in control of the Democrat National Committee and of the nomination process. He wants to kind of replace Hillary and Bill, who used to run it, he wants to be the one. He's running now, he thinks, the Democrat Party. He wants to force out Bernie Sanders, who he realizes America's not going to elect. So he wants to force Sanders out. And so he's really spending money to gain control of the Democrat Party and spending his money strategically so he can get people who are the powers that be inside the DNC to defer to him. But this guy, Bloomberg, so wants Bernie Sanders out that what Bannon is floating the idea of is, you know, no one of these cast of characters, this clown car of the Democrat candidate, uh, candidates for president, for the nomination for presidency on the Democrat side, none of them are going to burst free like they often have. Well, the March primaries came along and so-and-so emerged. He's the big leader. She's the big leader. He's saying that's not going to happen. America doesn't like any of their choices on the left. Even the people getting behind Biden on the Democrat side, the polling that shows Biden, you know, leaving Iowa out of it, where Bernie is ahead, you know, Biden is is popular in many states or, or viewed polls as the most popular candidate. Even he, Bloomberg thinks, is a joke of a candidate. He thinks that people are choosing Biden because everybody else on the Democrat lineup are so crazy, so radical leftist. Biden at least appears to not be a communist or not a socialist, but. This theory of Bannon is that Bloomberg is going to spend all this money to gain control of the DNC and get to the convention. No winner will emerge on the first, you know, when they do the first ballot because they, you know, they've all the delegates there in one room and they're sitting there in Milwaukee and they got to choose their candidate. He says no one's going to emerge as the winner of the Democrat primary. And so he, Bloomberg, 
wants to be in position, controlling with his money, saying, you got to put Hillary Clinton in. And I got to tell you, Hillary wants to run. She's chomping at the bit. She's blathering about it. She wants to run. So this is Bloomberg thing's going to happen, that, that all this money, that, or this is rather Bannon things is going to happen, that Bloomberg is spending this money, get to the convention, and going to force them to agree that Hillary is a candidate. I do want to tell you a couple of the interesting things about what's happening inside the DNC. They are panicked about the rise in popularity of Sanders, because even though with the millennials and young people, you know, who are saying, yeah, everything for free, they're, they're kind of like the... You know, the New York subway protesters only everything, my health care, my education, my housing, everything should be free. And this is, you know, dangerous, obviously, because there are still enough Americans who realize that is not a viable plan. But the Democrats getting nervous. You may have, re- have known, but last time in 2016, when you had the Democrat primary came down essentially to Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders, that there were allegations. In fact, they weren't just allegations. There, what emerged was inside the DNC... The uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz was orchestrating things to be sure that Hillary won the nomination and Bernie Sanders was pushed out. This is what the DNC did in 2016. And after that was exposed and all the mea culpas were so sorry, we shouldn't have done that. They changed some of the rules that relate to the Democrat convention. So coming up in 2020, one rule they had changed after the outcry of unfairness and protest against the 2016 election where they, the Democrats just orchestrated Hillary into the nomination, they said, okay, on the first ballot, when all these delegates from every 50, all 50 states show up, when we get to that ballot, the superdelegates cannot vote. Superdelegates, if you don't know that term, and the Democrat side means there are people who were not chosen as delegates within the process within individual states. And people can be, uh, you know, people are delegates from every state and they're chosen through a process. Every state has their own. But delegates get there and there are people saying, yeah, I'm a delegate to the Democrat convention from Wisconsin, Oklahoma, wherever it is. But the Democrats also have always had, because they all are forever and always the party about controlling the people, not really listening to the people, seizing that upper echelon elite ruling class to really be in charge. They had a superdelegate process, and superdelegates are appointed uh, by the powers that be inside the Democrat Party. They're, they're members of Congress. They are appointed by the DNC. These are people not chosen by the voters. These are people appointed by the party. So in 2016, they said, okay, okay, during the first ballot, superdelegates cannot vote. To really have that first ballot be a measure of what the people wanted. Well, now that they're so worried about Bernie Sanders, as well they should be, because you're that worried about him, there's now talk, rumblings inside the DNC of people saying, you know, we, we might have to change our mind about that. You know, never mind about this idea that we're going to let the people actually choose the candidate. They're talking about dropping the rule that precluded, precludes right now, precludes superdelegates from voting on the first ballot. And, of course, the Bernie Sanders people um, are very, very unhappy about this. They, they, you know, they just think they, they saw the superdelegates as their enemy in 2016, the ones who could see that he's crazy and they don't want him to be president. And so they worry about these superdelegates getting the vote again, no matter how well Bernie Sanders does. Now, to be really clear. Joe Biden is ahead of Bernie Sanders in a lot of states and in the overall national poll. 
And but, you know, there's a lot of concern about Joe Biden, you know, about what came to light with him with respect to the Ukraine, about what seems to be his diminished capacity to speak well in public, getting confused regularly, not really sure what's happening, what state he's in, when he was. I mean, a lot of confusion. I never want to taunt that because I, um, you know, I, I don't want people to <laughs> suffer mental decline. I mean, I don't want to I don't want to mock him, but he has no business running for president. And many people can see this about him. And so they're waiting for that to sink in to the Democrat voters. And back to Bloomberg, this is what he's worried about, is all the you know, allegedly mainstream moderate Democrat voters, and there are millions of those, there are Democrat voters who want nothing to do with Bernie Sanders socialism, want nothing to do with, with Elizabeth Warren and her crazy policies. They're just kind of long-term Democrats who've always voted Democrat because they think it's the party that's nice to poor people or something or the little guy's party. Party. And those Democrat voters have been clinging to Biden as a voice of sanity among the candidates on the Democrat side. And yet they're starting to worry maybe he really isn't that sane after all. This is what so Bloomberg's saying, you know, once people get really worried about Biden and don't want to support him and they don't want to have the the what you have all seen of the uh, Bernie Sanders fiery leftism socialism, that they're going to be floundering and Bloomberg wants to, you know, kind of scoot in, save them all, and say, hey, how about Hillary? She's our gal. Um, one thing I want to mention, um, and actually, to be clear, Bernie Sanders' campaign is already openly complaining about this, about somehow the Democrats are orchestrating things again, changing the rules. Uh, there was a poll, CNN had done a poll that was to be released yesterday. As I say, the caucus is today, tonight at 7 p.m. So this poll was to be released yesterday which apparently showed very good results for Bernie Sanders, again, in the Iowa caucus. And I, I want to mention one other thing about the Iowa thing before you change subjects, but uh, CNN pulled the poll. They refused to release it. The reason they gave for refusing to release it was that the Buttigieg campaign, that the, the uh, mayors, the uh, Democrat presidential candidate uh, who is a mayor from South Bend, has said that this poll was in some way unfair to him because I think at least one version explained it as there was one poll question which failed to include his name. Whether it was unintentional, I don't know. But he's saying bad poll because this, I was left out of a question shouldn't be you know shouldn't be honored. But uh, so agree. You know, I, I'll tell you the the big thing on the left which I do like, and I, I will um, harken back to the the, San, the Sanders campaign. The Sanders campaign we played on this show last week the uh, clip of a young man, Kyle Jurek, who is on the uh, Bernie Sanders campaign. He's in Iowa, and he was the one threatening that if Bernie doesn't win the nomination on the first ballot at the Milwaukee convention, Milwaukee will burn. This time, violence against the police. Police will be the victims of our violence. America will burn. He's the same one who said Americans who won't go along with Bernie Sanders' radical socialism should be sent to concentration camps to get their head right. That mentality is not just one loopy guy on the Bernie Sanders campaign. Lots of reports talking about the Bernie Sanders campaign filled with Antifa type thinkers, filled with radical leftists, with genuine communists, with, with people who say, I'm just humoring Bernie Sanders by his democratic socialism thing. You know, I'm a socialist. 
I'm a communist. These people are not only large in numbers in the Bernie Sanders campaign, they are vocal, they are strident. So picture yourself at a little Iowa caucus, like I was talking about in the start of this segment. Little Iowa caucus, you know, grandma and her three kids come in or whoever it is and they show up and they always like Joe Biden or, you know, Klobuchar, whoever they like. And you have this rabid mob of Bernie Sanders supporters who have no tolerance for any other candidate, no tolerance for freedom or capitalism or free markets. And those people are confrontational, they are belligerent, they are demanding, and they're scary. Those people inside every caucus meeting in Iowa tonight. This is among the other reasons that people in the Democrat Party are getting alarmed. Bernie has radicalized. I'm not saying he did it alone. Bernie has radicalized many young people in this country to think the answer to every problem that some young person has. I can't afford to buy my subway fare. I can't afford to you know, uh, finish my college education. I can't afford to pay back my loans. I, I can't afford to buy health insurance. The answer of Bernie Sanders is always, the reason you can't afford it is because you're a victim, because capitalism is evil, because freedom is evil. Vote for me, I will take away the money from rich people, I'll pay for everything you need. Arguments that should have failed, would have failed, had America done a better job educating our young people starting in kindergarten to get around to remembering there truly really is no such thing as a free lunch. Socialism has failed everywhere it's tried. Communism creates misery. And yet Bernie Sanders, along with other left-wingers in academia and politics, has instilled a significant portion of the voting base in this country to believe they're entitled if they just could get the right guy in in, in the White House, everything would be paid for. No more problems, everything be free. And so now we're facing, tonight in the Iowa caucus, this is kind of the first step in this primary process, we're facing the culmination of the problem that in America, we have not stood up to the socialism that has filled academia from about kindergarten through high school and in college. We haven't stood up to it, we haven't challenged it, we haven't fought it, we have not had enough voices you know, for the Democrat party in this country to say, well, we're not really, oh, that's just Bernie, he's kind of over there, we're, we're really, we're just very moderate you know, Democrats. No, the Democrat party, including Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, all of the leaders of the DNC, they do not get a break from the radicalism of Bernie Sanders and the danger he has put this country in by convincing millions of young, ignorant people that they're entitled to have everything for free, those Democrat Party leaders, they get no break. They have no excuse for saying, well, we didn't really think Bernie Sanders was gonna get anywhere, so we let him talk that way. They have cultivated and enabled the Bernie Sanders base of power to grow because they never stand up and say, Bernie, no. Even when the squad became members of Congress, AOC and the other three first-term Democrat members of the U.S. House, they are radical, they are leftists, and there is barely a peep out of the Democrat Party leadership talking about how radical and dangerous these, these ladies are. So in closing this segment, I want to just say, we're watching the Iowa caucus tonight. We're going to watch and see whether any rationality remains, at least in the state of Iowa, among the Democrat voting base, 
or has Bernie Sanders' campaign, which regularly describes itself as a revolution, as a strong socialist campaign, has that campaign overwhelmed you know, mom and dad, everyday Democrat voter in Iowa to the point that they actually think voting for Bernie Sanders, voting for socialism in America is a viable and reasonable path forward. We'll have a lot to talk about that tomorrow. Um, I want to hit uh, another story about Bernie Sanders. This not as much about what's happening in Iowa, but you know, I, I have talked about him numerous times in this show, but I want to paint a picture of him for you because I think it is really important to understand this is not a guy who woke up one day and said, wow, you know, maybe socialism would be cool. This is not a guy who went to Congress and heard AOC speak and thought, yeah, this is kind of cool. This is a guy who's truly and for decades a true believer in communism, not just socialism, communism. And before I get to talking about Bernie Sanders, I'm going to play a clip that Matt the Wonderful has. Uh, President Trump was interviewed yesterday on the day of the Super Bowl uh, by Sean Hannity. And I have a little clip ready. I want to have you play what President Trump had to say about some of the various candidates, including Bernie Sanders, in this 2020 presidential nomination cycle. I've known you for a couple of decades. This is going to be hard for you. This is called our lightning round here. Um, I'm just going to throw out a name. Whatever comes to your mind. Okay. We'll start with Joe Biden. I just think of Sleepy. I, I just watch him. He's Sleepy, Sleepy Joe. Bernie Sanders. Well, I think he's a communist. I mean, you know, look, I think of communism when I think of Bernie. Now, you could say socialist, but did he get married in Moscow? And that's wonderful. Moscow's wonderful. Might have been the honeymoon. You don't sure. think necessarily, well, whatever. But you don't necessarily think in terms of marriage, Moscow. And it's wonderful. I'm not <laughs> knocking it, but I think of Bernie sort of as a socialist, but far beyond a socialist. Elizabeth Warren. At least he's true to what he believes. That's one thing. Because you mentioned now Elizabeth Warren. She's not true to it. I call her fairy tale. Because everything's a fairy tale. That's how Pocahontas got started. Everything's a fairy tale. This woman can't tell the truth. Michael Bloomberg. Uh, very little. I just think of little. You know, now he wants a box for the debates to stand on. Okay, it's okay. There's nothing wrong. You could be short. Why should he get a box to stand on, okay? He wants a box for the debates. Why should he be entitled to that? I, really? Then does that mean everyone else gets a box? Pelosi. Uh, I think she's a very confused, very nervous woman. I don't think she wanted to do this. I think she really knew what was going to happen, and it's uh, her worst nightmares happened. I don't think she's going to be there too long either. I think that the radical left, and she's sort of radical left too, by the way, but I think the radical left is going to take over. Okay, I have to tell you, folks, I think some people, I know some people are criticizing President Trump for calling Bernie Sanders a communist. And there's all this talk, especially on the left and in the intellectual world, about how, you know, there's a big, big difference between socialism and communism. And just because Bernie's a Democrat socialist doesn't make him a communist. I want to just tell you some stories about his life and really have you get this picture that it's one thing to attend you know, K through 12 in America, American high schools right now, public schools teaching a lot of leftism, a lot of pro-socialist ideas, Americans' college campuses filled with socialist professors and socialist ideology. But Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders has come by his, you know, bona fides, as they say, as a communist, not just socialist, an actual communist. And really, I mean, he's proven it to America over and over. And I want to just plant some seeds about this. Number one, 
he did choose, as President Trump alluded to, to take his honeymoon um, in Russia, in Moscow, when it was still communist. Now, he was not, you know, 22 years old, just out of college. Maybe some person who's young and got, you know, kind of propagandized in college and, oh, yeah, my professor said communism's great, you know. When he went over to do his honeymoon with his second wife, he was 47 years old. 47. He was the mayor of Burlington, Vermont, and he was an open socialist. The reason the Russians loved having him and toured him around the country and they showed him all those, you know, look how lovely, everything's so perfect in communism. Look at this, look at our schools are lovely and our apartment buildings are lovely and our stores are lovely, manufacturing is lovely, look how great everything is. They took him on that kind of tour, tripping over themselves, the communists in Russia did, because he was a socialist mayor of Burlington, Vermont. This is 1988. So, young man, and before that in his life, I'm not, I'm going to jump over a bunch of years, but shortly after he married the first time, he was living with his first wife in something resembling a hut. I mean, the reason his first wife left him was because she decided this wasn't that cool after all to live with crazy Bernie in a hut, which at least at some points had no running water. I mean, the guy is a radical, kooky leftist, but he's from a state, Vermont, that's about this big, you know, a tiny little state, and you get elected, your name gets known, you're mayor of Burlington for 150 years or something, not really that many, and then, so you're famous, so then you want to run for Congress, well, what the heck, you run for Congress, and everyone's heard of you, yeah, isn't that that mayor, yeah, I've heard of him, you know, the American voter tends to be not looking into how kooky is a guy, but have we heard this name before, so Bernie Sanders gets elected to Congress, 1991, serves in Congress, the U.S. House, so 2007. In 2007, he becomes a senator. The guy has lived as a radical leftist from the time, I, I mean, for decades. But let me just run through other, some other stories. He has taken, in his life, taken very much the anti-American leftist view time after time after time. At the University of Chicago, he was a member of the Young People's Socialist League. In 1963, he lived on a radical kibbutz in Israel, co-founded by some guy um, who was a extreme radical leftist um, who praised Joseph Stalin um, and flew a red flag at their events at the a red flag of communism at their events at the kibbutz. He was also a guy in Burlington, Vermont, while mayor in the 1980s. He hung a Soviet flag in his office. Soviet flag in his office, and it was in honor of Burlington's Soviet sister city, Yaroslavl, um, where is where he went to honeymoon with his second wife in 1988. <clears throat> he um, back for president in 1980. Now we're getting to, you know, kind of relatively speaking, modern times. 1980, back for president. The Socialist Workers' Party candidate, Andrew Pulley, a Marxist who called for a government takeover of America's energy systems. This is in 1985. He went to Nicaragua. 1985, Bernie Sanders, the man who would be our dictator, our totalitarian dictator, Bernie Sanders, 1985 as mayor, went to Nicaragua to celebrate the sixth anniversary of Daniel Ortega's communist Sandinista regime and to speak at an anti-American rally. He has taken the side of the enemies of America. I could list Instant after instant after incident where he has sided with the leftist, the radical, the socialist, um, 
this, uh, in 1989, Sanders addressed the U.S. Peace Council, a Communist Party USA front, uh, and spoke about the triumph of Soviet power in the U.S. On top of that, when we had our precious Americans being held hostage in Iran, you likely recall this, so the hostage crisis under Jimmy Carter, you had, you had uh, Bernie Sanders taking the side of, taking the stage with groups praising the Iranian mullahs for rounding up the American embassy people who were held hostage, praising the Iranians and condemning the Americans. And, you know, I'm thinking I might write a column about this just because I think if you put all these things together, you might say you think Bernie Sanders has cool ideas. People might like him. You know, I don't. But you don't get to say that it's unfair to call him a communist. This kind of soft socialism that he's trying to sell to us, he's trying to say to America, hey, I'm a, you know, I'm just a soft socialist, so I really just want a little bit more generous, you know, social programs. I want to make, help kids through college. The guy is a radical. It's fine to call him a communist. He may not be running on the Communist Party, um, you know, platform at this time. He may not be their candidate. But as as many people know, the Communist Party of America years ago, CPUSA said, "There's really no reason for us to be running presidential candidates. We just got to side with the Democrats." People, this election in 2020, this decision between President Trump who has brought tremendous value to America in just the three years he's been our president, who has righted the ship in terms of getting the federal government out of the over-regulation business, who's freed up businesses to create jobs, so we have the best employment numbers in decades for everyone, including for black Americans, for women, for Hispanic Americans, for other minorities. We have employment and freedom and an economy bustling, not because of President Trump personally, but because of the ideas he believes in, he stands up for, and he implements. Bernie Sanders is running on, this is a guy who praised Venezuela as they went down the path of socialist ruin. He's a guy who continues to praise Cuba many times in his career, praise Cuba, praise the communists, and he's actually an even remote striking distance of, of winning the Democrat Party's nomination for president. So, yes, I'm glad to at least know that the Democrat, the DNC, is deciding we got a problem here, but we Americans have to be wide awake because even if the Democrats manage to force him out, to force Sanders out, to say, you know, Bernie, you're just too far out there, we can't go with you, even if we get him out, what happens when you have delegates who are with him, when you have backers who are with him, is he gets to play a role. He has a hand in shaping the agenda that the Democrat Party pushes as they move forward. It's not like if you just can get Bernie Sanders off the Democrat stage, we'll be back to talking rational Democrat. He has tremendous power at this time within the Democrat Party. His people are going to push his nomination, him receiving the nomination, and his life story, which I, I really may write a column about this, his life story would be enough to make anyone with an iota of understanding of American history and world history realize this guy should never be anywhere close to our White House. Last quick story for today. I just want to hit, um, so 
President Trump is going to give the State of the Union tomorrow night. And I'll tell you that there was a pressure on him or some pundits were saying, you know, President Trump ought to say, I'm not doing the State of the Union until we get a final vote in the Republican majority Senate to fully acquit the president on this impeachment garbage. There are people saying, and the impeachment was a sham. They're not going to call witnesses. They're doing closing arguments today, you know, and the vote, whether or not uh, vote to acquit is now scheduled for Wednesday. Say the union is scheduled for tomorrow. So people are saying to President Trump, you know, you're thinking about postponing it, maybe make sure that you got acquitted. And I loved it. This was in the Sean Hannity interview and other places he said it too, but he's, you know, he said, no, I'm going to go forward and do the State of the Union. What I love about him and his political instincts, they are so honed and wise and discerning, not just his. I think he has really some really good advisors also helping him figure out what America wants to hear. But this State of the Union, State of the Union tomorrow night is going to hone in on the idea of he's got this phrase, which I love, relentless optimism. And he's going to be focusing on policies that help working families. The reason I think this is so brilliant is because in this election year, you will have the Democrat, whoever wins the Democrat nomination, even if it's Hillary, she's forever in a day talking about the working class, the working families, the middle class, blah, blah. This is President Trump laying out the truth, the reality that the policies he has brought to bear in America have helped the middle class, the hardworking American family more than anything the Democrats have ever offered America. We're gonna turn in just a moment to why the stories we talked about today matter to you, but I wanna urge you, if you wanna get my weekly newsletter, email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com or go on my website, americacanwetalk.org on the homepage, hit subscribe, You'll get a once weekly email from me, comes out on Friday. Great way to catch up on the shows you might have missed. Great way to share the show. I also want to encourage you, if you're listening on social media, to help this show. It is, by the way, growing in fabulous ways. I'm very excited about it. But the idea of helping this show, if you enjoy what you hear, tell your friends, share it on social media, subscribe on YouTube, follow me on Twitter. Uh, like my page on Facebook, America Can We Talk, comment, engage in the political conversation, just like I do every day on this show. Now, we'll talk about why the stories we talked about today matter to you. And we started out today on the uh, Bernie built the New York City riots, violence, property damage in New York City's over subway fares, $2.75. This is a product of Bernie Sanders' philosophy writ large. Every inconvenience of life, like the cost of things, is the fault of freedom and free markets. Every problem is the man, a.k.a. the establishment, corporations, Wall Street. It's always their fault. Everything will be free, and life will be simple and good if government had all the power and ordered that it be so. This is what Bernie Sanders makes people think. The solution is not freedom, hard work, patience, persistence, and American democracy. The Bernie solution is a revolution of the proletariat. This is communism 101. Bernie Sanders is a threat to the American republic. I'm Bernie Sand I'm Dems Bernie panic in Iowa and more. Telltale signals that Bernie is opening up leads among the most eager of Democrat voters. Des Moines Register pulls a poll. That's a CNN one. Uh, DNC mulling rejiggering superdelegate rules. Bloomberg throwing millions to buy controlling influence the Democrat Party. Not a broker convention for him, but for him to hand over to Hillary. 
The DNC brain trust not only does not believe Bernie Sanders can beat Trump, they believe a Bernie candidacy could lead to an epic landslide for Trump. The DNC is right to panic over Bernie's momentum. America is not a leftist country. On a Bernie's scary communism and why it matters, Bernie Sanders is not a garden variety liberal. He's a radical leftist, a communist. Honeymoon in the Soviet Union during the Cold War. Honors the Potemkin village image of the Soviet Union. You know, that, that let him show lovely factories and schools and homes. Everything's wonderful here. It's all a charade, a farce, a hoax. Fights against Reagan's deployment of missiles in Europe. Sides with the mullahs in the Iranian takeover of the U.S. Embassy in 79. In the thrall with Chavez and Madero in Venezuela. With Castro in Cuba. Has never held a private sector job in his life. Thinks of his philosophy as inciting and requiring revolution. He uses that word. Sanders versus Trump would be an election of stark choices. If well done by Trump, which is very likely, the campaign would be hugely re-edifying. Generations of Americans might be newly forced to think about freedom and its opposite. And finally, the State of the Union sweet spot working families. State of the Union, so too, is to be given prior to the impeachment acquittal. And you got to wonder why there is a battle about before the acquittal. Schumer's payback about Clinton's, that's one argument why Schumer's forcing it. Or rhino muzzle protection. People are saying maybe the rhinos in the Senate want to muzzle President Trump, and so they're going to hold it over his head. They haven't yet acquitted him. Who knows why they're doing this. But anyway, so two previews say the focus is on addressing the, the needs of working families, a.k.a. the American middle class, which is thriving under President Trump. This is Trump's very stable genius, VSG, very stable genius instinct for political winning, drawing the contrast starkly and immediately with Bernie and communism, drawing votes away from traditional Democrat constituencies. Schumer and McConnell are not outsmarting Trump. They still do not grasp his connection with the American people, which will grow after the State of the Union. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for tuning in every day, Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. I'll talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America? Can you hear